This is the first day of this first ever remote session of ours, uh, the June four-day virtual session via Zoom. This uh, will be a day of working the kinks out mostly through technology, the the technological kinks, which are more than I think, more than I realize would be, and that maybe a lot of people, there's a lot of systems at work here. Um, I'm, uh, just for the record, historical record, I'm uh, sitting in my library, my quarters at the Zen Center, Uh, alone. <laughs> I, uh, I can appreciate these, uh, the troubles, uh, troubles of adjustment that these, uh, late night comics reported when they first started performing at home without uh, a live audience. It's a, it's, it takes some getting used to just sitting here and talking to what seems like myself, not hearing any coughs or sneezes or laughs or fussing around. But I've done a few of these already, so it's already becoming more normal. So uh, just kick off the uh, Teshos for this session. I'm going to be reading from an anthology of Rinzai Zen. Uh, teaching, and the book is called The Original Face. It's not the first time I've read from it, but it's been a while. I'm going to turn to a selection by uh, a master um, Shoitsu, and uh, might have just a little bit about him here. It's Japanese master. Most of the texts I comment on in Teisho are, um, in, in, in Sashin at least, are Chinese masters. Uh, this uh, Shouitsu, he was a contemporary of, of Zen master Dogen. Uh, his dates are... Uh, 1202 to 1280. <clears throat> so, uh, really, uh, born a couple years after Dogen, and but then lived quite a few years after uh, Dogen died. And Dogen, of course, is the is a Soto Zen uh, master, uh, and these from this uh, compilation here are Rinzai masters. Just a little bit here about him. Uh, his honorific is National Teacher Shouitsu. That's quite an honor. He began uh, studying Tendai Buddhism, another sect other than Zen, <coughs> when he was just eight years old. And then he moved into Zen um, and traveled to uh, China when he was 34 
to study Chan. That's Chinese Zen, of course. He uh, came to enlightenment under a renowned Chan master there in China. Um, it says here, uh, he spent time afterward refining his practical understanding in the company of several other Chan masters in various places in China. And then he returned to Japan, his native Japan, at the age of 40 and served as abbot to a number of uh, Zen monasteries and uh, is reported to have produced more than 30 enlightened disciples. You know, produced is, is not a good word for Dharma transmission. No teacher can produce, really, produce a, a Dharma heir. Uh, no teacher can uh, really even <clears throat> produce enlightenment in the student. It has to be uncovered by the student. It's, just, it's, it's the student's own original enlightenment that has to come to consciousness that the student has to awaken to. <clears throat> and uh, here is Shouitsu, a, a letter to, uh, doesn't matter who. This is what he says, In the direct teachings of the ancestral masters, there are no special techniques just to lay down all entanglements, put to rest all concerns, do zazen for six hours in the daytime and six hours at night. Let's pause there. <clears throat> there are no special techniques. Well, we do have our methodology in the Zen school. We have all of the features of uh, sitting posture that will enable us to work most effectively, get more concentrated, most concentrated. Let's just run through a few of those since this is the first day of a session of 80 people. <clears throat> uh, the first thing in any in posture, the most basic thing is the base. Uh, it's like... Uh, if you were to want to construct a tall building, you've got to get the base right. You've got to get the foundation right. So we need to be seated in a stable position, uh, whether it's a cross-legged position or the kneeling position <clears throat> or a chair. It's got to be, we have to be grounded, stable. And that comes in the cross-legged position. It's with the three points, the, the two knees and one seat. And it's helpful in, the, in, the, in your sitting, in your seat, that if you can sit on your sit bones, it's, it means sitting, it means not sitting back. Uh, then you're not sitting on your sit bones. It's, it's kind of leaning in. But without leaning forward exactly. It's not quite the same. Do, do use whatever cushions you need to 
to get stable and still. And then, just not to get into too much detail here, to be sure the shoulders are relaxed, the back of straight, of course. But what does that mean, the back straight? It means to have the spine stretched up. And, and that, too, can be a little elusive to understand what that means. It took me quite a few years to, to uh, really understand it. I think the best way to understand it uh, that I have found is to have a sense of stretching up the back of your neck, lengthening the back of your neck, pulling your neck, the back of your neck, out of your relaxed shoulders. And this will set the chin slightly down, just a little bit. You don't want the you don't want the head dipping down at all. Uh, but there's a sense when the the neck is stretched up that the chin you can just do this now feel it the chin is slightly down and drawn in. Think of the chin bringing the chin in, uh, bringing it back like you're like you're closing a drawer. This puts the, the ears in line with the shoulders and sets the shoulders back. If you're leading with the head, if your head is in front of your shoulders, then uh, it's, it's just not aligned the way we were designed. It's, I never cease to be thrilled with watching a, a toddler uh, sit or stand or walk, they, they have this natural alignment with their head back. It's just so inspiring. All these points about posture, we're not trying to force something that we're not designed to be in. This is our basic alignment. We're just trying to get back to it. We're trying to get back to it so that with our natural straight alignment, we have fewer thoughts. That's all. That is very practical. There's no right or wrong with posture. It's not a aesthetic thing although it is really magnificent to see a really someone in a really seasoned posture it is beautiful but it's all for the purpose of learning to detach from our thoughts so this is all part of the zen method but maybe we can distinguish method from technique getting back to our text uh, Shouitsu says there are no special techniques. And that's uh, maybe a, a fine distinction. Um, I would say that uh, techniques is more a mental thing. At least that's what I would warn people about, is not thinking uh, that you can come up with some special way of working your mind 
to, to get deeper into practice. Uh, it's more simple than that. It's too complicated. As long as you're focusing on techniques, mental techniques, <clears throat> then uh, it's too complicated. You just need to, need to go back to basics. Trust the body. We may come back to this a little bit, but let's move on uh, through this <laughs> first sentence. There are no special techniques just to lay down all entanglements. Well, entanglements, of course, means thoughts. It's nothing more entangling than thoughts. And by um, adopting the postural methods that Zen has taught for centuries, um, it, it's a one way of getting free of entangle, entangling thoughts. Put to rest all concerns. Well, it's pretty much the same thing. Our concerns come from our thoughts. Concerns are thoughts. And if we have a halfway decent posture, then those thought concerns will settle. They'll settle on their own. If we can be attentive to the practice we're working on, the breath practice or whatever it is we're doing, koan practice. So concerns and thoughts and other entanglements all will settle on their own if we don't stir them up. And uh, here's where we want to be really aware aware of this uh, and during this uh, remote session when we're all dispersed and there are no monitors or there isn't even anyone else in most houses there isn't even a second person uh, to be disturbed by our fidgeting and um, it's it's good to be to remind oneself that yeah Fidgeting, the problem with fidgeting while you're doing Zazen is, yes, first, disturbing others, but when there aren't others near you, then you don't want to fidget because it will stir up your own mind just a little bit. It's not going to be anything catastrophic, but the more we move, scratch or shift or fidget, the more we do that, um, the less settled the mind will be, the more we invite thoughts, disturbing thoughts, concerns, entanglements. Do Zazen, he continues, do Zazen for six hours in the daytime and six hours at night. That's uh, a little more than our usual uh, session schedule, but uh, but still more than the schedule we're following uh, these 
these four days this week um, in our respective houses. You know, it didn't, uh, just as a little aside here, it uh, didn't take long for me to decide to keep it to four days um, rather than seven because there's so so much we're dealing with, so many uh, adjustments we're making. And um, I'm, I think it's a wise thing, that, that, that at least this first one, that uh, we don't dive in the deep end of the pool, but find uh, our way to get used to it. <clears throat> he continues, whenever you wander into distinctions among things, just raise the practice. That is, bring your mind back to the, the breath of the koan. Don't think of it in terms of the way to enlightenment. Don't think of it in terms of purification. Don't consciously anticipate understanding. Don't let feelings create doubt or despair. I'm going to stop here because there's too much to comment on. So to go back, uh, don't think of it in terms of the way to enlightenment. Well, this is uh, fatal. If while you're sitting, you're thinking uh, of this as a way, uh, the way to enlightenment, as you think of it as the means to an end, fatal. Don't think of it in terms of purification. Well, it's just another concept. Why think of it in terms of anything? Why think? Don't consciously anticipate understanding. Well, what does that mean? Anticipate means thoughts. Don't let feelings create doubt or despair. Well, still, doubt comes up. It's not an uncommon thing especially in Sashin at some point, but no, outside Sashin too. So doubt arises, doubt about the practice, doubt, doubt about oneself, and uh, even discouragement. Uh, the translator here makes this despair. Don't let feelings create doubt or despair. How do we do that? How do we not let feelings of discouragement um, sorrow, depression, create doubt or despair? Well, by not lingering in them. But rather, when we notice the feelings, there's nothing wrong with feelings. There's no reason to call these things negative feelings. They're just feelings. When we notice the feelings, uh, don't get dwell in them. Don't be attached to them. And how do you avoid being attached to feelings? Don't think about them. Don't think about yourself having those feelings. Don't make it into your own story. Very hard. Very hard. When we come to practice, we've spent our whole life creating these stories about ourselves. But then now we have a practice. So noticing, first is the noticing. Step one is noticing whatever there is, feelings or th thoughts. And then step two is just bringing the attention back to the practice. 
So it's to neither deny the feelings or the thoughts, to neither deny them nor to cling to them, to neither suppress them. That, that's no real strategy for coming to terms with feelings. Neither suppress them nor dwell in them. And how do we do neither of those? You know. Back to the breath. Back to the koan. Just this. And in his own words, he says, go directly in like cutting through an iron bun with a single stroke. And that's what that means. Using this this laser function of the of our mind the the way we can direct our attention to use it to return to the practice we're working on <clears throat> he says where there is no flavor no path of reason reason is part of the uh, function of the of the uh, so-called higher mind our conceptual mind uh, we don't need reason. We don't want to monkey around with reason while we're doing Zazen. And then he says, without getting involved in other thoughts. After a long time, you will naturally be like waking from a dream, like a lotus blossom opening. Notice that phrase, after a long time. This practice is not for those who are impatient. It's not for people looking for a quick fix. No enduring change happens except through steadfast work over a long time. If you want a quick change, take drugs and then expect the change to pass in no time. I've neglected to say this, this uh, the translator of this book, the original face, is uh, the translator and editor is Thomas Cleary. <clears throat> There's more here in this letter to, um, this letter of Shoitsu to this guy, but I'm going to skip it and go to a, another selection in this book. Page 70. And this uh, is a letter from uh, Dio, Dio Kokshi, national teacher Dio. Just uh, see, there are a few words we have about him. 
before we read this. His dates are just a little bit later than uh, Shoitsu, also the 13th century, just uh, extending into the 14th century. He became a monk at the age of 15 and went to train under the illustrious, oh no, Rankai, not Rinzai, Rankai in Kamakura. And he too traveled to China uh, when he was 25. And he, while he was there, he called on several masters. Uh, one night, uh, as he stood up from his meditation seat, he was suddenly enlightened. And this is what he wrote as a verse. When suddenly mind and environment are both forgotten, there is the ability to penetrate freely earth, mountains, and rivers. The whole substance of the real body of the king of Dharma is manifest. People these days face it without knowing it. And now to uh, Dio Kokshi's, National Teacher Dio's uh, little um, letter here. He says, The cause and conditions of the one great concern of the enlightened ones is not apart from your daily affairs. There is no difference between here and there. It pervades past and present shining through the heavens, mirroring the earth. That is why it is said that everything in the last myriad eons is right in the present. So this is a nice little reminder uh, for Sashin participants who are all scattered around in their own homes that, that the the causes and conditions of the one great concern of the enlightened ones is not apart from your daily affairs. Making a sandwich, going to the bathroom, taking out the trash, feeding the dog, chasing the dog. Picking up groceries. mowing the lawn, why, why would the, the central concern of the enlightened ones be apart from all of this? There aren't two worlds, there's just this, here. We are, we are immersed in this essential nature. We are this essential nature. Fundamentally, there's no inside or outside. These are just arbitrary words. It's just this. 
Look. He continues, before any signs become distinct, before any illustration is evident, concentrate fiercely, looking, looking, coming or going, until your effort is completely ripe and in the moment of a thought you attain union. The mind of birth and death is destroyed and suddenly you clearly see your original appearance. Each thing distinctly clear, you then see and hear just as the Buddhas did. Know and act as the enlightened ancestors did. So concentrate fiercely, looking, looking. This uh, emphasis on looking is not limited to Zen. Many of many people throughout history who have made great discoveries have done so by simply looking directly into what is right before us. But to truly look and see is 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 difficult if we're if our mind is buzzing with thoughts thinking and looking are two different things if we have a problem and we're trying to figure it out figure it out means with the discriminating mind with the with the discursive mind if we're trying to figure something out we're not looking directly You know when uh, was it Isaac Newton had the apple fall on his head supposedly uh, he realized the law of gravity uh, even though that probably didn't happen but who knows maybe it did um, there was no no thinking there there couldn't have been thinking something that simple that that basic gravity bop in the head it's a, a some a kind of awakening he must have been looking and not thinking but but he may have been doing a lot of thinking until he was purely looking thinking often is the is it precedes uh, the emptying of the mind. He says, until your effort is completely ripe. Well, that takes us back to uh, over a long time being patient. Ripening takes time. 
And in the moment of a thought, the moment of a thought, again, this is the limitations of translating from uh, Japanese, Chinese to English. The moment of a thought, it's, I would say just suddenly, you attain union. The mind of birth and death is destroyed. That is, you see through the mind of change. You see through the realm of change to what is behind it, within it, (coughs) beyond it, into the changeless, the unconditioned, And he continues, suddenly you clearly see your original appearance. Each thing distinctly clear. Notice the the paradox. You, You attain union, and then yet each thing is exquisitely distinct, clear. Every person just... Perfectly unique. And that's seeing and hearing just as the Buddhas did, knowing and acting as the enlightened ancestors did. You know, we have... um, we have less time in this block of sitting, this mid-morning block of sitting, than we do in our normal session schedule. So uh, I see we've it's just been uh, about 35 minutes, but I think it's enough. Let's get back to the mat, starting with uh, the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate. Endless blind passions, I vow to uproot. Dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate. The great way of Buddha, I vow to attain. All beings without number, I vow to liberate. Endless blind passions, I vow to uproot. Dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate. The great way of Buddha, I vow to attain. All beings without number, I vow to liberate. Endless blind passions, I vow to uproot. Dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate. The great way of Buddha, I vow to attain.